Well, welcome to church. Good to see everyone. You look good. You look good. Uh, I'm glad you're with us. Online, thank you for tuning in. So grateful you are watching. I want to encourage you to be a part of this and type something in the chat room. Let us know you're here. Say hello. And uh, we're excited, just expecting God to move in a great, great way. Are you expecting God to move? I hope you came expecting to hear a word from the Lord. Um, God, we humble ourselves before you. And we need you, Lord. The truth is we need you more than we realize we need you, God. And I pray uh, by your grace that you work in me and through me. Put your word inside of me. Holy Spirit, work and flow through me, God. I'm going to do this incredible task of trying to tell people about the power of your word, God, and it feels overwhelming. So, Lord, help me. I want to pray also, Lord, for Afghanistan. I know there's a lot of uh, good people that are, are being uh, impacted by this and the Taliban, and I just pray that you watch over these people who are living in fear every day, God. Watch over Christians who are choosing to stay rather than leave. Would you be with them, God? And I pray somehow, Jesus, your name is, is proclaimed, and I pray for, for safety. I watch over the children, God, and, and, and be, with, be with us, Lord. We need wisdom and how to handle this whole thing. Our world seems uh, to fall apart in so many ways, God, and I'm reminded of how desperately we need a Savior. So God, work there. Also want to pray, Lord, against this, uh, this new virus. <laughs> feels like we're just going to be living with some sort of virus. It just feels like that, Lord. And I know we, uh, you've given us a spirit of, of uh, power, uh, of confidence, of boldness, and not of fear, um, Lord. But, but I, I just want to pray against that that stuff. I, I pray for healing. I pray for those who might be in the ICU right now. I pray for complete healing. I pray for unity in your church, Lord, because I know the devil's using anything he can to create division in your church, Jesus. So I pray against um, any spirit of division. I pray for unity. And I pray, God, that you just continue to have your way. I know this world is in your hands. All the affairs are in your hands. And um, you hold everything. So our faith and our trust is in you, Jesus. Thank you, God, for, for your word. Make it burn inside of me, God. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> if you want to hear a word from the Lord, can you just say, God, speak to me? Can you say that out loud? Can you say, God, speak to me? And that, that's so powerful. There's nothing like a word from the Lord. When was the last time you heard God speak to you? When was the last time? I mean, the last time, like, undeniably, you heard God give you a word. And it was clear, and maybe you still remember it. Maybe he spoke to you uh, when you were out for a walk, or maybe you were listening to a song in the, in the car, or maybe you were at home, maybe you were at church, maybe you were reading his word at some place that you enjoy reading, and there's just this one verse that jumped out at you. That happened to me. I'm, I'm in Psalm 119, you know, today, and I was back there, and Psalm 119 uh, just spoke to me. The first few verses, I was just, just read it, and I was like, oh, my word, Lord, you're speaking to me already. What did God tell you? One word from God can change your life. One word. One word from God can give you peace in the middle of your storm. One word from God 
one word can cause you to uproot your entire family and move across the world. One word from God. That's how powerful God's word is. One word from God can bring you to your knees. One word from God. One word from God is enough to give you encouragement, even though your circumstances have not changed. One word from God. When was the last time God spoke to you? When was the last time? I'm so excited, guys. Um, this, this, uh, this, this chapter that we're looking at, Psalm 119, it's the longest chapter in, or longest book in the entire Bible, um, longest book. I was so tempted to read all 176 verses to you. Um, but I thought, I don't know how quick you'll be zoning out. Some of you would zone out after verse 2, and some of you after 155 or whatever it is. There's this one verse that kind of captures Psalm 119, and it's, oh, it's verse 97. 97. Oh, how I love your instructions. I think about them all day long. Let's read that out loud, guys. Oh, how I love your instructions. I think about them all day long. So you need to understand something about this book or this chapter, Psalm 119. Um, nobody really knows who wrote it. Many people attribute it to King David, right? The, uh, they, they just think he's the guy. Other people think it was Ezra. And other people think it was Nehemiah. We don't really know um, but we, we do know the writer of Psalm 119 had like a love affair with God's word. He was in love with it, desperately in love with it. This is what he wanted to devour. And he says here, oh, how I love your instructions. I think about them, how often? All day long. And I look at the love that this psalmist has for God's word. And I can't help but to wonder, do I love God's word like that? Am I, am I that crazy in love with his, his word? Um, A.W. Tozer said, whatever keeps me from my Bible is my enemy, however harmless it may appear to be. Don't let anything come between you and God's word. You need God's word. You need God's word desperately you need God's word. Uh, when I talk to people in there, you know, the book can feel a little bit intimidating. When I came to know Jesus, I, I opened up the Bible and I knew where the book of Psalms was. I, I knew that one. And, and I knew where the book of wisdom was. That tells you a little bit about my Catholic days. And I knew where Genesis was. And that was it. So I knew about two or three books in the Bible. And uh, so when I first looked at the Bible, I said, gosh, there sure are a lot of words in this book, and I don't understand everything, and I'm not sure about everything. And then I discovered the words in the color red belong to Jesus. So I spent a lot of time reading the words in the color red. But if, if you have a relationship with God, you, you end up wanting to know more of God. You have a desire to know him, and you need the word of God. Psalm 119, here it is. 176 verses in Psalm 119. And it all talks about this love affair with God's word. It's the longest chapter in the Bible. The author is unnamed. And really, in Psalm 119, you find the Hebrew alphabet. In fact, if you're looking at in your Bible, um, sometimes right in Psalm 119, you'll find some words that are strange. Like, 
verse, the first verse, uh, there's this little name. It looks like a name. You think it's a personal name. It says Aleph, A-L-E-P-H. And then you look down another eight verses or so, and it says Beth, B-E-T-H. And we think, okay, that's a name. I think that's a personal name. And then, and then you keep looking, and then it says Daleth, D-A-L-E-T-H. And then you look again, and it's Vav, V-A-V. It's like, what in the world are these, are these people? What are they? Here's what they are. It's the Hebrew alphabet. It doesn't make sense to us because it's not in Hebrew. But if you're looking at a Hebrew Bible, these, these are the actual letters of the Hebrew alphabet. And there's 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet, 22 letters. And here's what's cool about this whole thing. So the, the, first, the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet, it starts with Aleph. And guess what? The next eight verses start with that same Hebrew word. They all start with Aleph. So and now it doesn't make sense in our English Bible. But if you're looking at your Hebrew Bible, you would see all of them start with Aleph. And then the next Hebrew letter or is Beth, B-E-T-H. And that, those eight verses after that all start with the Beth. Now, we're looking at it in our English translation, and we don't see that. So if you take 22 Hebrew letters, and under each Hebrew letter, there's eight Verses. How many letters are there in the Hebrew alphabet, guys? How many? 22. And each one in this Psalm 119, there's eight verses or eight lines under each Hebrew alphabet. How many lines or how many verses? So if you multiply 22 times eight, you get 176 verses. Why was it written like that? A lot of Bible scholars believe because it was meant to be memorized alphabetically that's why the acrostic is there it was meant to be memorized and it was memorized by some pretty famous people uh, one guy william wilberforce does that name sound familiar just a little bit to you 19th century british politician who led the movement to abolish the slave trade he memorized psalm 119 david livingstone pioneer missionary to africa he memorized it Matthew Henry, the Matthew Henry commentary, he memorized this. Actually, his father, every night, had him memorize one verse from Psalm 119, every night. So by the end of the year, he would have gone through Psalm 119 two times. He had him memorize every night. Psalm 119, you have to understand, it's not a, a chapter telling you that you should love God's word. No, it's a chapter about this psalmist's love for God's word. It's just telling you this is how much, this is how much he loves God's word because you can't force anything. If you don't love God, you don't love God. If you don't want to go to church, you don't want to go to church. If you don't want to read the Bible, you don't read the Bible. I mean, that's a whole other thing, isn't it? I mean, how often do you read God's word? Do you long for it every single day? We need God's word. Here it is, verse one. We're gonna read the first 176 verses here, okay. The verse one says, joyful are people of integrity. Now remember, this is the first Hebrew um, letter, Aleph. So everything in here in Hebrew, it starts with Aleph. But, but there's a theme here in the first eight verses. Each, each Hebrew uh, letter has a theme. A joyful are people of integrity who follow the instructions of the Lord 
joyful are those who, what church who obey? There's a clue what this, this theme is about in these first eight verses. Uh, are those who obey his laws and search for him with all their hearts. They do not compromise with evil and they walk only in his paths. You have charged us to keep your commandments carefully. Oh, that my actions would consistently reflect your decrees. Then I will not be ashamed when I compare my life with your commands. As I learn your righteous regulations, I will thank you by living as I should. I will obey your decrees. And what is that last line says? Please don't give up on me. Wow. I love the fact that the psalmist, David, let's we'll just pretend it's David. The Lord knows who it is. But he's so incredibly honest. So he starts off by saying, oh, this is God's word and, and you should obey it and, and, and joyful are the people of integrity and, and th- they're, they're happy because they follow God's word and, and, and they don't compromise with evil and, and, and God, you charged us to obey your word and, and then he says, oh, that my actions would consistently reflect your decrees. He's like, God, oh, I only wish... I could live like this consistently. I only wish I could live in obedience all the time. Then I would not be ashamed when I compare my life with your word. Can you identify with David's heart? (laughs) Just a little bit. You see this and you see David and he's so raw. And then the last line, he says, please don't give up on me, God. You ever feel like God's just ready to give up on you? I want you to know God is not ready to give up on you. God is not ready to give up on you. God cares about you. God loves you. He is not ready to give up on you. I was just talking to my son before service, and I was uh, invited to preach a revival. I haven't shared this with anyone. My wife doesn't even know. I don't know. But I, I'm invited to preach a revival at a church, you know, where like some consecutive nights. And I, I didn't know if I was able to do it and because of my schedule. And I was telling my son, he goes, Dad, you should do it because you're kind of like Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady. I said, what do you mean by that? Well, you know, you're at the end of your career, Dad. So it's probably good for you to. That's what he said. That's what he said. If you're watching this, Josiah, you're not loving to your father at all. I just want you to know that right now. <laughs> but, like, God, please don't give up on me. Don't like, like Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay. Don't do that, God. That's what he said. I'm, Dan, you're kind of like Aaron Rodgers. Um, Psalm 119, so incredibly beautiful. Um, look at the power of God's word. The power of God's word. I'm like sweating up here, guys. I'm so excited. Uh, chapter 1, Genesis says this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was what church was, was oh, we got to go to there. Um, verse 2, verse 2. The earth was what? Formless and empty. Did you hear it say formless and empty with me? And darkness covered the deep waters. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the water. Then God said, what did, what did God do? God, what God said. God said, let there be light, and there was light. 
Do you hear the power of God's word? It was formless and empty. Nothing was there. Do you you, you understand the power of God's word? God said, it's all he did. Let there be light. And just bam, because he said, let there be light. I mean, God's word is incredibly powerful. See, you, you can't do that. You can't say, you know, um, let there be a Tesla. You know what I mean? You can't do that. But God is God, and you're not God. God said, and because he spoke, something came into existence that wasn't there before. That's the power of God's word. And Psalm 119, the psalmist is just bragging about God. That's all he's doing. He's bragging about God. Have you noticed certain words way more than others? It depends on who says it. Have you realized that? Words mean more if there's a person of great character. Have you ever seen someone say words, but their character is really not respected, and they say a lot of words, but you don't respect their words, do you? Not really. See, there's certain people, because of the way they live their life, they don't even have to raise their voice. When they speak, they can whisper, and everybody listens. It's because of the character behind the word. And it's good to know because sometimes we think our words weigh more when they really don't because our life is not a life of integrity. If you, wanna, if you, wanna live a, if you want your words to weigh more, if you want your opinion to weigh more, then you need to focus on your character and let God transform your heart. You let God transform your heart. You live a life of truth a life of purity, a righteous life before God, then your words will weigh more. See, some people are delusional. They think their words weigh more, but they don't weigh much at all because people see your life. You know what I'm talking about? People around you, there are certain people that say things that you listen to, and there are certain people that say things and you dismiss what they say. Their words don't mean a whole lot. See, in our world, we fight for the mic. We fight to be heard. We fight for likes. We fight for shares. We fight to share our opinion, and we're convinced somehow people want to know our opinion. Oh, isn't that a joke, right? We're convinced of that. But it's all upside down. We have it backwards. It's not about the mic. It's about who's behind the mic. And the reason why God's word is incredibly powerful is because he's incredibly powerful. The reason why his word is truth is because he is truth. The reason why his word is good is because he is good. The reason why... His word, you can count on it, is because you can count on him. It's pure because he is pure. It's faithful because he is faithful. It's going to be forever because he is forever. It's because he is God. 
And when he says something, it weighs more. Some of you, you need to focus on your character. Spiritually immature people always look at the characters of others before they look at themselves. It's always easier to look at other people and find faults than it is to look at yourself. Psalm 119, the writer says this, how can a young person stay pure? You hear this, young, per, young people? That's me and you. How can a young person stay pure? By obeying your word. There it is. You want to live a life of integrity before the Lord? Obey God's word. I have tried hard to find you. Don't let me wander from your commands. I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. So the writer is saying sin separates you from God's will and God's purpose and even robs you from those moments with God. That's what sin does. When you allow sin into your life and you intentionally disobey God, you intentionally turn your back against God, you intentionally go against God's word for your life, you invite sin into your life. When you intentionally live a certain way that you know is not pleasing to God, you're, you're creating this wedge between you and God. See, God's a holy God. And that's why Christ came to this crazy world to die for our sins. He did not die for our sins so that we could continue to practice sin every day. That's why he sent the Holy Spirit so that you could experience the power of his work and his spirit and, and live out a righteous life. He would never ask you to do something that you couldn't do. He would never do that. And the writer understands that sin separates you from purity, from righteousness, from the life God has for you. Then he, he says something else. He says, open my, verse 18, he says, open my eyes to see the wonderful truths in your instructions. So in other words, it's possible that there are incredible gems in God's word, but you need spiritual eyes to see it. Now, if you have sin in your life and, it's, and you're not repenting of that sin, you're not remorseful, it's, you haven't confessed, whatever, you can read God's word and get nothing out of it almost. It means nothing to you. If you don't have a relationship with God at all, it's possible to read this and you don't have a relationship. You're reading about something. I mean, God's able to speak to you. I got saved after I read the parable of the sower in my bedroom in San Antonio. So God can do anything he wants. But it, it's possible to miss something. So you need to pray and say, God, give me spiritual eyes to, give, to see your word. Give me spiritual understanding to read what I'm reading. Help me to understand what you are saying, God. Give me these spiritual eyes. And that needs to be your prayer. God, open up my eyes. Open up my eyes. And he keeps talking about eyes. Verse 37, he says, turn my eyes from worthless things and give me life through your word. Isn't that is strong? I mean, that's like a, a verse that you should save on, on your phone as like the background. So every time you look at your phone, that verse is right there. Turn my eyes away from what church? From what? From worthless things. Again, the writer is saying there's some things in this world that are worthless for you to look at. And it affects your soul. It affects your relationship with God. Turn my eyes away from worthless 
things. Maybe you need to put that on top of your TV or something like that. Just pay, or do it on your phone, whatever it is, because your eyes go right to your heart. Turn my eyes away from worthless things. I like what T.D. Jake said. He said, dedication requires separation. Isn't that good? You have to separate yourself from worthless things if you want to dedicate yourself to God. You have to separate yourself from worthless things if you want to dedicate yourself to God. Verse 59, he says this, I pondered the direction of my life and I turned to follow your laws. In other words, his word. I pondered the direction of my life. That's so powerful. I mean, just think for a moment. What direction is your life going on right now? Where are you headed? What kind of person are you about to become in a year? Who will you be in five years? What, what, what road are you on? Blaise Pascal, the brilliant French philosopher and devout Christian, loved Psalm 119, and he called verse 9 the turning point of his life. Verse 59, excuse me. He, this verse right here was the turning point for his life. Where are you headed to? When I was in uh, Nashville helping my son move, we were, we were with his buddy, and I was in the back seat of the car, and they were in the front, and we were supposed to go back to the condo. And we're driving, and we're talking, and we're laughing, and this kind of thing. We're on the way, and we're just enjoying the road. And, and then he exits, but he, what he didn't realize was his GPS, he had it marked in there for the airport instead of the condo, the house. Then he said, oh, my goodness, I got to get back. And he went ahead and got back on, and we, you know, we, we burned like 30 minutes or whatever it was. He didn't realize we were going the wrong way. And I thought about that, and I want to say this. You can be going the wrong direction in life and not realize it till it's time to exit. You could be going down the wrong direction in life. You could be in the wrong relationship right now, and it seems harmless, but it's going to take you to a place. See, the last thing, the last thing the devil wants you to do is think about the destination. The last thing the devil wants you to do is think about the destination. The devil doesn't want you to think about where that bad habit will lead you. He doesn't want you to think about that. The devil doesn't want you to think about where that bad relationship's going to lead you and who you'll be. He doesn't want you to think about that. The devil doesn't want you to think about where that attitude will take you. He doesn't want you to think about that or where that one night stand will take you. He does not want you to think about the destination. He doesn't want you to think about that at all. You know, the devil is not afraid of a Bible that has dust on it. You can call yourself a Christian all you want, but if you never open up your Bible, you're like a lion with no teeth. You're just roaring a lot, but you got, you got no teeth. You're not a threat at all. Just fooling yourself. David said, I pondered the direction of my life and I turned to follow God's word. It's beautiful. Beautiful. Verse 66. He said, I believe in your commandments. Now teach me good judgment and knowledge. I used to wander off until you disciplined me, but now I closely follow your word. Isn't that incredible? David is saying, assumingly David, he's saying, this is who I used to be. I used to wander off, and then when you disciplined me, then I got back on track. 
But that's what I used to do. And then I'd, I'd say, oh, I'm really sorry. I should have never done that. But I would wander off and I would stay on the wrong road until things got so bad that I humbled myself and I said, okay, I'm going to get back. And I was just hard-headed. Anybody hard-headed and stubborn in the house? And you're like, okay, I got to learn the hard way. And sometimes we could be even proud of our stubbornness. Don't be proud of your stubbornness. Someone was helping me out at Home Depot the other day and he broke his shoulder or something like that and he said, I'm just stubborn, that's all I am. And he said it like it was a virtue or something like that. Sometimes it's okay to be stubborn, (laughs) but most of the time it's not. Most of the time it's not. And David is saying, I used to wander off until you disciplined me. That's when I got right. Some of us are wired like that. Things have to get bad before we get right. Right? Some of us. But David says he used to be like that. But now, say but now with me. But now, I closely follow your word. David has learned. Did you hear that? Did you see it? Oh, don't miss that. He said, I used to wander off until you disciplined me, but now, say but now again, I closely follow your word. I've learned not to trust my own strength. I've learned to cling to God's word. I've learned to go to church every weekend. I've learned to stay in his word every day. I've learned not to compromise even a little bit. I've learned... That just because I feel like I'm in control doesn't mean I maybe am in control. And he says, I have learned to follow, closely follow your word. Completely different change. Reading God's word will keep you from wandering. If you're someone who wanders, if you're prone to wandering and going to dark places, spend time in God's word every single day. If you want to know God's will, read your Bible. Sometimes we want to say, oh, well, what's God's will for my life, and what should I do, and where should I move, and what relationship should I be in, and what should I, you know, if you want to know God's will, then read your Bible. So you learn to hear the voice of God, and when you learn to hear the voice of God, and you determine, you determine God's will that way, then you can determine what's counterfeit. Then you know what's right. You know what's true because you're immersing your mind in God's word and it changes your heart. God moves in your heart. He'll change you. But you got to immerse yourself in God's word. You immerse yourself in God's word and you absorb it. Then all of a sudden it'll change your character. Glory to God. And you'll know what's a lie. It's kind of like when you go shopping. You go shopping in a store, and I was looking for some shoes the other day. And I went in, and there was a guy behind the counter, and he says, anything I can help you with? You know, that, that question everybody asks you when you when you anybody to help you with? And, and you say something like, no, just looking. So that's code for leave me alone, right? Uh, no, just looking. Um, but, then, and, but you typically say, I will know what it is when I see it, right? When I see it, then I'll know what it is. It's kind of like that with God's word and understanding truth. You'll just know it when you see it. And we know certain things. It's kind of like when, you're, when you know, your daughter is dating the wrong guy and you're like, I don't know what guy God has for you in the future. I just know that's not him. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I, just, I just know that's not him. You just know certain things. 
And God's word will help you know his will. God's word will help you know his will. Too many of us try to determine God's will without ever spending time in God's word. And that's guessing. You're determining God's will on how much money or how you feel. You're determining God's will on a song. You're determining God's will on hearing the wind blow through trees and thinking, okay, God wants me to go that way. Don't do that. Depend and rely on God's word, and then you'll know his will for your life. Luke chapter 18. This is the song or the, the, the gospel that I read, that Luke chapter 18, 8, verse 15. Um, Jesus said, And the seed that fell on the good soil represents honest, good-hearted people who hear God's word, cling to it. That's clinging to God's word, and patiently produce a huge harvest. These are people who are spiritually mature people. That's the difference. When they hear God's word, they cling to it. They love God's word. They base their decisions around God's word for their life. This is like the most relevant book on the planet. Because God can speak to you here in this book about how to manage your money, about what relationships you should be involved in, about the decisions you make. God will speak to you. He is so faithful, he can do that. And he will speak to you about his will for his life. Verse 68, David says about this, about God, you are good and do only good. Teach me your decrees. Isn't that good? God is good, so he does good. You got to hear that. God is a good God, and he does good things. He is inherently, he is good. That is his DNA. Don't blame God for bad things. In this world, bad things happen. God will use bad things for his glory, but God is good, and he does good, and he's a good God. He wants you to enjoy life. He wants you to enjoy the pleasures of life. He wants you to enjoy the best life. He wants you to have a light heart. He wants you to laugh. He wants you to enjoy everything about life. He's a good God, and he wants your obedience. He wants your faithfulness. He wants you. David learned that God is good even when suffering. He said, my suffering was good for me. For it taught me to pay attention to your decrees. Do you see his life? David's looking back at his life and he's thinking, I'm thinking about those times when we didn't have a lot of money. I'm thinking about those times when those people were slandering me. I'm thinking about those times when those people were lying about me. I'm thinking about that time when I went through that health crisis. I'm thinking about that time when I was going through suffering. And even during that time, God... You were good to me. Even during that rough time, God, you were good to me. Your suffering taught me about you, God. Suffering can be good because it reminds you you're not self-sufficient. Suffering can be good because it exposes what you're depending on. Suffering can be good because it reminds you you're not in control of everything, Suffering can be good because it reminds you that you need God. Suffering can be good 
David said, your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. Reading God's word is like using God's flashlight for your life. It is. Now, I'm convinced we say the wrong prayers. Most of our prayers involve a destination. Most of our prayers are like, God, help us to buy that house or help us to buy a house or help us to sell this house or help us to get this job or help us to get that raise or that help us to get that position, help us to have kids, help us, whatever it is, it usually involves like, God, this is what I want. Help me to, I want to have a relationship or I, I, I want to be married or whatever it is. We have, a, you know, our prayers are like that, but you need to understand God is not about the destination. He's about the journey. And it's not about what you get down the road. It's about learning who God is while you're on the road. It's about trusting God in the in-between of life. When you're waiting, can you wait? Are you okay waiting while that prayer hasn't been answered? Talk to Abraham and Sarai. They waited for the promise, and God was working with them and teaching them about who he was while they waited. Too many times we become restless we become anxious, all because that thing that we're waiting on hasn't happened yet, but you need to understand, you're the project. You're the project. It's about him building you while you wait and trust God. It's about him building you up while you're going through your suffering. It's about him teaching you how to cry out to him when the prayer hasn't been answered yet. Wait on God. There's this uh, phenomenal story in 1 Kings chapter 19. It's about Elijah. Elijah um, did this incredible thing. Elijah went up against these false prophets and called fire to come down from heaven. And it's a remarkable, remarkable thing. You need to read 1 Kings chapter 18 to read that whole thing. And it, I mean, he was at the pinnacle of his life and his relationship with God, and he was just at that place. But after that happened, Jezebel, uh, Ahab's wife, um, sends him a letter, like an email. Have you ever had an email that just discourages you or a text that discourages you? He got a letter that discouraged him so much he went to this dark place. I mean, he just ran. He just ran, and he needed a word from God, and he cried out to God. And this is what uh, 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 11 says. God tells him, go out and stand before me on the mountain, the Lord told him. And as Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by and a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was the sound of a gentle whisper. That's the power of God's word. When God speaks, the voice of God he can speak to you with a gentle whisper. 
And because he's God, he doesn't even need to raise his voice. It's the power of the voice of God, and he can speak to you anywhere he wants, whenever he wants. I can hear it in the crackle of a bonfire. I can hear it in the middle of the ocean water. Oh, I just can't explain it, but it makes me want to cry. I can hear it when the rain falls on my windowsill. On a playground where the children's laughter lives. Oh, I can't explain it, but it makes me want to cry. And I can hear it in the busy New York City streets. I can hear it in the country Georgia fields of green. Oh, I can't explain it, but it makes me want to cry. It sounds like grandmama telling you where you come from. Said it's kind of like a laughter out of the mouths of your loved ones. A catching up with an old friend, a reminiscing on back when it's like a summertime sprinkler. Street sour with my ice cream cone. Said it sounds like a choir singing hymns, hallelujah. It's the voice of God, yeah. It can make a grown man cry. And I can hear it in the wind of an early morning When the fog is getting thick and the birds are chirping Oh, it's just something I can't explain, no But it makes me want to cry And I can hear it in the hush of a midnight hour When I'm alone in my room if I'm going under Oh, I just can't explain it but it brings me back to life Like the sound of a newborn baby crying It's like the final breath of a loved one passing Oh, it's a beautiful thing Cause it leads me to the light It's like a drive through movie Small town with a big screen Like grilling out in the front yard Sometimes it's the simple things like storytelling with my grandpa He was so easy to believe Like when the sun goes up, yeah Sometimes it's better when the sun comes down Cause there's just something about the moonlight It can make you feel alright Oh, it's the voice of God And it can make a grown man cry It's the voice of God and it can make a grown man cry. <laughs> Thank you, Riley. That's beautiful. It's the voice of God. Anybody been there before? You heard the voice of God? Been there before? Glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. 
Hebrews tells us, for the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrows. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. That's how powerful the word of God is when you open it up. Jesus said, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. See, feasting on God's word is more important than your breakfast or your lunch at Chipotle or your dinner at Chili's, whatever it is, it's more important than any food that you put in your mouth, feasting on the word of God. Paul said this in Timothy, he said, all scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. And God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. And I love the person who is the word of God. John chapter one, verse one says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God, and the word was God. Well, who's the word here in verse one that we're talking about? It's Jesus. And Revelation chapter 19 describes Jesus like this. His eyes are a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written on which no one no one knows except himself. He is clothed with a robe dipped in blood and his name is called the word of God. There's nothing like Jesus. There's no one like Jesus. I don't know where you're at. I want to challenge you. We've done this a few times, but I want to challenge you to read God's word every single day this entire week. Can you do that? We're just playing t-ball right here, guys. Read If you want to, if you want to go to you know, like center field or something like that, read it for the, for the whole month, every single day, and just spend time. You don't have to read like a whole chapter, incidentally. Just read something. Let God's word, read a paragraph. I, I try to read one chapter every morning before my day starts, at least one chapter. But do whatever is right, whatever you can do. Maybe if you want to go for a chapter, go for a chapter. But read God's word every day. Start in the Gospel of John. If you're not sure where to start, start with the Gospel of John, and then jump to Ephesians and read maybe Ephesians or Galatians or something like that. Just start there. Just read it every day. Here at Thorn Creek, God's word is the center of all of our teaching and preaching. And we look at every single page of God's word. There's so much truth and love with every single page. And it all points to Jesus. But here, his word drives everything, drives every single message. And my prayer is that God, by his grace and the work of his Holy Spirit, that I do a good job helping you understand God's word and how it applies to your life. That's my prayer. But I want to encourage you to turn to the Lord. <clears throat> turn to the Lord. Let's pray. God, thank you for your grace. Um, maybe you're here right now and the first step is to receive Jesus and maybe you want to become a Christian. Would you say this prayer? Say, Jesus, I ask you to come into my heart. I ask you to be my Lord and Savior. 
Forgive me for my sins. I want to live for you. And I want to turn away from my sins. And I want to live for you. So be my Lord. Forgive me for my sins. I choose to become a Christian right now. Others of you, maybe Psalm 119 needs to be your prayer. Maybe you need to say this, say, God, give me a new craving for your word. Give me a new craving. Speak to me, God. Give me spiritual insight as I read your word. Show me your will, God, for my life as I read your word. And change me, transform my heart and my mind as I read your word. Thank you, God. There's nothing like your voice. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray.